This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. Juice is the company behind Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data. It's a platform designed to deliver easy-to-read interactive data applications and dashboards. Juicebox turns your valuable analyses into a story for everyday decision makers. For more information on Juicebox or to schedule a demo, visit juiceanalytics.com. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. I'm joined by a very special guest today from Microsoft Research, Stephen Drucker, Principal Researcher at MSR. Stephen, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. So we're talking live in Germany, which is interesting. We're at a visual storytelling conference, and Stephen has been showing us the Sand Dance tool, which uh, by the time this has come out, you will now have seen as live uh, for people to use. So Stephen, before we talk about Sand Dance, which, um, which people are gonna, I think are going to be really interested in hearing about, Maybe you can tell folks a little bit about MSR and what it is you guys do and how it fits into the larger Microsoft ecosystem. Sure. My pleasure. So uh, MSR, Microsoft Research, is about a thousand people across a whole bunch of different labs, some in Cambridge, England, Beijing, India, and most in, in Redmond. It's fairly different than the rest of Microsoft in that we're very bottom-up. Our ideas come from individuals that might want to gather them into some bigger things, but there's a lot of freedom to pursue things that we think can make a difference as opposed to, hey, there's been a project and people are assigned to work on that project. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the way we make impact is publishing, advancing the state of the art across everything, sometimes trying to make impact by transferring ideas to product groups, sometimes uh, making intellectual property. Uh, but uh, again, it's not any one of these things. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a combination. So we, we you know, go to all the academic conferences. We attend seminars like this one, uh, where it's, it's really just about sharing these ideas with others and, and, and partaking in the academic discussion. Right. And so the new project uh, that you have coming out is called Sandance. Yep. Uh, a new sort of interactive... Uh, data visualization with also a storytelling component to it. So can you describe what Sandance is and sort of what was the motivation behind creating it? So, so there are a couple things here. One, Sandance is kind of unique in that we have a real emphasis on showing both the individual items and how they're organized in a whole. So I, I kind of like to say the forest and the trees. Mm-hmm. A lot of visualizations tend to show you the aggregates, which is great for looking at overall, say, business in sectors. But if you want to find outliers or if you want to find anomalies of any sort, or if you're kind of exploring your data, uh, it often helps to kind of see where those individual points are, perhaps in the context of, oh, what's this point doing all the way out there with really high education, but really low income? Let me explore that further. Mm -hmm. So it's about that. And it also allows you to transition between many, many different views of the data, bar charts, scatter plots, other things, while it's still showing those individual particles. Right. Another motivation for this is this whole continuum between presentation exploration it's kind of my belief that a really good way of presenting something is showing you how I came up with it. It might not be the exact path. I might have noticed an anomaly. I explored it. I sort of found an explanation for it. And then I'll take you through the best part. But revealing the process of why that is so in the tool that I found it really helps a lot. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's another emphasis. So we can save insights that we come back with, play those insights back, uh, share those insights with others, so having that all in a very 
we hope, simple-to-use tool. Right. And in fact, we've been working on this for over two years, and a lot of the difficulty in this is figuring out how to make this both simple and powerful. Right. Because it's really easy to just eliminate features, but then it's, it's a toy. Right. Uh, but then you put in too many things, it's just too, too hard it's to too use. Too much, yeah. And so right now it all works in the browser? That's right. So why don't we talk a little bit about some of the demos that are available. So the one we were just looking at has county-level election data. Right. And so, so why don't you talk about some of the stories that you could tell toggling between all the different views that you have available. So, so actually what I did with this data set is I took the census from 2010 and mashed it up with some of the political election results from the right. uh, Romney-Obama election. And I could tell lots of different stories in here. One, one certainly is a story about... So the divided country, and in some ways it might not be as divided in the way you thought it was. It's the classic red state, blue state thing. But when we look at it at a county level, there's a lot more nuances. And when we look at it at how much Obama took each county or didn't take each county, it's even more nuances. There's swing states all over the place. Mm -hmm. And again, you get to see that by seeing these representations. And you've seen maybe the, the purple... United States you know, kind of cartograms, map. but map you know, right. now we can fast this and divide this up into many different versions, delve down into uh, one county, find counties that are similar to it based upon their voting habits or their education levels or their income levels. So that's kind of one set of things that I think people really care about seeing and, and showing. You can even see sort of 3D views where you see the density of the population, see how that makes, it, makes right. a difference. Uh, another thing is just purely the demographics. I think there are a lot of fascinating stories about the demographics. We were looking at, at income and looking at the median income across the country, and uh, you could see that how many counties are living at or below the poverty level. Right. And uh, again, these are counties. Some of these counties have 500 people. Some of them have 3 million people. So it's not exactly the 99% kind of thing, but it's a fairly good proxy for that. And then you can delve into that further. You can see, okay, how does essentially income and unemployment co-vary and how, mm. how does education vary with that? And then when you look at it that way, you start seeing some weird anomalies. I, right. I mentioned before, the, the most educated county in the United States, 95% of the people have a bachelor's degree or more. They're not making much money. And when I looked at it, I was going, where is that? And I found that it was Stanford, California. <laughs> I was like, what, what's yeah. going on here? And they're just like, oh, okay. I guess maybe they're on government stipends and working mm -hmm. on their higher degrees right. not making much money. Right. And then I found like the next most educated place was also not making much. And I looked into it. It was, it was Tompkins County. He's like, well, what's Tompkins County? So I clicked on it and looked it up. And it's an automatic way of looking up. Found out, oh, that's where Cornell is. Right. So, so then I real exactly. Yeah, so yeah. then I reorganized it and go. Let's look at this whole bottom half that are that are really highly educated, not making much money. And I found like every single one, the top twenty of them, they're all college students. Mm -hmm. And again, this is something I, I didn't know going in. Yeah, that's an important part about visualization. And a weird thing about the about the story that's hiding behind the numbers. That you exactly. Might have. Exactly. Now, what's interesting about Sandance <laughs> is the transitions from one view to another. So you have this county level map, a point for each county. And then if you want to look at it in say some sort of bar chart format, you toggle between the different views, but the points all transition from the map to the column chart. So in your view, what's the advantage of having that transition? And I know you can turn that transition off, but what's the advantage of having those transitions of, of all of those points moving here? We have, you know, 3000 points, but you could obviously have smaller data sets, yeah. but what's the advantage of being able to transition or seeing the transition from one view to another. Yeah, yeah. I think it's all about maintaining context. Mm -hmm. Kind of know that 
we're talking about the same thing. We're always talking about counties. Or if you're looking at the Titanic, you're always looking at passengers on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And no matter what the representation is, that's what we're talking about. When we just look like a series of bar charts, but is this average income or is this total number of people or is this the sum of sales? And in each of them, you might have labels, but you've got to have a little cognitive switch or what does this mean? Mm-hmm. And I think seeing that the particles are constant across this, I believe helps people understand what's going on a little bit better. Right, right. So I think that's the really important thing. Okay. It also looks kind of compelling. People are just drawing what's going on here. Right, right. So, so that's another aspect. So how does Sandance interplay with the rest of the Microsoft ecosystem? So I'm going to guess it works pretty well with Excel. Um, now, can you bring an Excel file directly in? Do you need to convert it to a CSV to bring it in? And how does it work with, say, even search engines? Can you go directly from Sandance because it's on the web? Can you go right to searching for, you know, maybe your data have links in them or something like that? Well, to start with, the way it works with a lot of different product groups, that's that's always a tricky question. Research, again, goes by its own drummer. We obviously Mm -hmm. want to impact the groups. But a lot of times the groups just have different priorities, not yeah. priorities. And, you know, they've got customer responses and other things. So it's always hard to tell what will make it in and what won't yeah. make it in. Uh, we've actually made a version that was a plug-in for Excel in the past. It's kind of interesting that they showed it to some of their most valuable customers. Yeah. And some of them loved it, say, oh, I really want it. Some of them were saying, I don't tend to think visually this way. Yeah, I just want the numbers. Just give me the numbers. Yeah. And others were saying things like, you know, everything I do with this, I can do with a pivot table. Oh. When, and, and it's true, but I was looking... The, but not the people, visually. Exactly, not yeah. visually. And yeah. the people that can use pivot tables, I think, are, are the experts. Yeah. And therefore, I, I think this was not a tool for the experts. This is a right. tool a little bit for, I don't know, information enthusiasts, maybe knowledge workers that are, are totally comfortable with it. Yeah. So does it make sense? You know, Excel also already has several different ways of doing charts. So, sure. so that's another thing. Now, there are other groups, Power BI and other things. We're obviously trying to work with all these groups, mm-hmm. either inform them or get it in. And, right. you know, love that. But again, the, the, the drives that are driving these things, I think that research is a hedge about innovators' dilemma. Right. Excel has customers, they need to please their customers, but a lot of times you get trapped into just doing what the customers want rather than something sure. else. So I think we, we try to kind of shake things up. If customers like this or they're demanding things like this, then, then Excel has a reason to do this. Right. Now, the other thing is, because this is all in a browser, we do make it really easy to link outwards. You can click on something and it'll do a search automatically with one, one click and mm. find relevant things based upon the context. Right. So I, I show this with the Titanic data set. You can find a child who died in this. You can click on her name. There's a, there's a website that has a little story about her. Yeah. And to me, that's great because it helps humanize the data. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, back to that beginning point, you get lost in these aggregates. These data are often made up of individuals. Yeah, yeah. And how does it work with with sharing and exporting? Can you export stills? Can you export sort of a dashboard? How, do, how does that, how yeah. that work? Uh, we, we can't do dashboards right now, but that's been a kind of requested feature. Sort of depends how you define a dashboard. Yeah. Like in some ways, what we've just been looking at, we're toggling between a view that's a map versus a column chart and just being able to toggle between the two, I might define as a dashboard. So yeah. it sort of depends. So but how would I, you know, how would one share that that, so that analysis? So we've got a number of ways right now. One, one is you can always take an image of everything and, yep. and export it. Another way is you can actually share your entire, you can save insights, which are kind of like slides in PowerPoint, but they're, mm-hmm. they're actually interactive points into a presentation. So if you click on this thing, 
Now you've got the data set loaded up and you can start interacting from that point onwards. Right. There are guided tours through this data set as well. So it's another, another way of, yeah. uh, of sharing this thing. You can email these insights. You can actually online collaborate, although I think we've turned off that feature right now. Uh, but you can be working on a data set at the same time someone else is working on that same data set and make selections and those selections and changes are reflected in other person's yeah. so for collaborative things. Finally, uh, we're exploring you know, other ways of, of uh, when you export something, it might make sense to export that as a description for anything from Vega Lite to Power BI to other forms. Oh, cool. so, so they can just start with, you know, hey, I've got the data. Now I want to cut to that view. It might not be that particle view that's so useful yeah. for this presentation, but at least it's, you know, starting off with the conclusions that you've got. Right, right. And so it's working in the browser. So at this stage, if I work for a firm, I have proprietary data, I have data I don't want out there. This is probably not the tool for me. Actually, no, it is because it doesn't ever load the data up to the server. Essentially, you go to the browser, download some JavaScript to run this. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, if you open up some data, it never leaves your, your site. Now, if you want to share this with someone else who's not at your company, then you've got to have your data in a place that they could get to. Either okay. they have a local copy and your this file that you're sharing, it only points to the data. Right. So the easiest way might be to put it up in a URL somewhere. You share this thing and they just click and it opens and it says, okay, you know, here's the URL. I, I see. Okay. Okay. So again, the data never, the data never leave, but each person could get the data on a shared server and, and then just download the, right. The, and the only thing at that tool. point that's quote shared to keep things in synchrony is items one through a thousand are selected. Or sure. Like that. Okay. So. How customizable is it in terms of text and color, you know, all the sorts of good stuff we want to have. So one of the things that we spent a lot of time was sort of managing that complexity. Yeah. Uh, we, under the hood, you can do all these settings and we can do text by any column. You can do line by any column, shape by, size by. You have all these things that you can customize. That's one form of being able to create a lot of different compelling charts. There's another element of customizability that we've been exploring, which is that you should be able to embed this thing in any web page that doesn't have the Chrome outside, doesn't have essentially utility on that. Yeah. And that's something we're actually exploring as well. Okay. So Okay. And so right now you have in the tool scatter plots, mm -hmm. which which with geographic data turn out to be maps, right? Longitude and latitude. Column charts, bar charts, line charts, and tree maps. Yep. Do you have hopes or aspirations to do other chart types? Absolutely. I, you know, we, we've got sort of dense 2D density maps, even some 3D views. They're, 3D is very controversial, but they're, they're sometimes, especially when you have 2D data and you have something on top of that, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You've got views like that. It's interesting because back to pivot tables, pivot tables work very well for sums and for counts. And averages, we've been exploring, how do you represent averages? Yeah. And sometimes the best way to do that is you actually do violin, like plots oh, yeah, that we've well, got, yeah. and maybe annotate them. We don't have an annotation layer that shows the mean and median, but that's another thing that we've kind of looked mm -hmm. at. You know, we, we don't do a lot of statistical things in here. We don't show correlation lines. We don't show uh, confidence intervals, but right. you could do that sure. as well. So do you view it at this stage, now it's just come out, do you view it at this stage as more of an exploratory tool or as a presentation tool or some combination of the two and just depends on what the user wants? Yeah, I, I think it's the last. I go back and forth. If you know what you're looking for, there might be some better ways of doing this. If you don't know exploring, this is a great way of doing yeah. this. There might be other things that are really good for exploring. 
But I have the most fun doing the presentation so much because I mm-hmm. think part of this is making this into a compelling, coherent message to someone else. Yeah. That's, that's kind of why I'm here. I, I'm excited about this. I'll be really curious. One of the points of doing this as a beta and getting this out to people, a beta implies that it's going to turn into a product and that's not necessarily the implication. What we want to do is find out what people are doing with it. Is the preponderance of people using it for presentations? Are they using it for exploring? What kind of data sets? Is it textual data? You know, because we can handle textual data. Yeah. Is it numeric? Is it aggregates? Is it, like, for instance, I also have a college database from the data.gov in here that looks at discriminating, you know, what college might you pick based upon all sorts of different attributes. That's very, very different than sales data, which we right. also have in there. So, right. so you know, what do people find compelling in this? So, that, so that's really interesting in terms of getting the feedback. So how do you go about getting the feedback? Is it going out and asking people? Are you serving? Or, and how do you find the people that, they're, that are using, yeah. the, using this tool as opposed to something else? Yeah, again, a great question. We've got a feedback link in here, and I fully expect to maybe get 0.1% responses actually filling that out. Uh, We are looking at what kinds of data can we log? We don't want to do any privacy data, but yeah. we might want to look at things that are clicked on more or less clicked on, how many times a view changes, you know, things that are completely anonymous. So hopefully we can get an inkling of behavior from that. Right. Uh, we'll have blogs and discussions. There'll be a forum uh, and probably some targeted experiments, meaning, hey, we've got this data set. Maybe we'll have a challenge and see what insights can you pull from it or how did you go about finding something from that? And from MSR's line of of things that you produce, how important are those communities in terms of getting things out and then getting the feedback? I mean, we know from all these different tools, from D3 to Tableau to other Microsoft official products like Excel and PowerPoint, that the communities and the forums and the working groups are all really important. When you put out a tool like Sandance or or other projects, how important is it to have those communities engaging and and discussing it with you or amongst themselves? Because the whole point of getting this out there is to get feedback about next directions, they're incredibly important. You know, we don't necessarily have a a fixed mechanism. As I said, I'm not even sure what the right community is. I mean, Mm -hmm. we can go to data enthusiasts, we can go to business intelligence guys, we can go to all sorts of things. Educators, I've demoed this on Capitol Hill, I've demoed this to teachers. Teachers tend to love this. This will be great for teaching visualization to my students. Uh, so there's a, a lots of communities that I want to see sort of where this resonates. And, you know, part of the point is get it out there as much as possible. Right. Talked about and try to find out where people are, are falling down and not being able to use it. What it's not good for is as important as what it is yeah. good for. Uh, is they're probably like, for instance, it's not very good at data sets that have 10 items in it because you can't mix and match and do a lot of stuff with 10 items. Right. It's probably better to do something in Excel. The sweet spot is probably anywhere between 200 and... 200,000. Mm-hmm. So we, we can handle about up to 200,000, maybe a little bit more in a browser mm-hmm. before the browser starts running out of memory. Right. And for those who are interested in sort of the backend technology, it's, it's using WebGL as the machine running the whole thing. That's right. And that's how we get the performance for 200,000 points animated at 30 frames per second. But of course, depend a little bit on the machine that you're running on, yeah. if it's a decent graphics card or not. But it runs in anything from Chrome, Internet Explorer, Edge, Firefox. If you haven't tried an Opera, maybe. Uh, runs on the Mac in Chrome and Safari. Mm-hmm. It doesn't currently run on iOS because we just haven't had a time to look at why. The WebGL implementation is different. Everything you can do, you can do via touch. And that's mm-hmm. another important part yeah. of this. So it's, it, it's really a kind of rich and easy exploration. I love demoing this on a large touch screen where yeah. people can see what I'm doing to see how they get the answers. Right. And it makes them, I hope, feel that they can get answers themselves. Great. Well, it's a really cool looking tool. Uh, I look forward to playing around with it. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Well, one, one other thing yeah. I want to say is that you know this is primarily 
two people, uh, Roland Fernandez, who's done a lot of the implementation, and myself, and we've had various other people help along the way. But again, out of research, it's not this this huge effort from a lot of people. Yeah. So. Good. Good. Great. Well, um, well, thanks again for coming on. Yes. Exciting. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening, for tuning in. Uh, please let me know what you think about uh, the show or about Sandance. I'd be curious to know how you used it and what you think of the tool. And again, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. For 10 years, Juice has been helping clients like Aetna, the Virginia Chamber of Commerce, Notre Dame University, and U.S. News and World Report create beautiful, easy-to-understand visualizations. Be sure to learn more about Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data at juiceanalytics.com. And be sure to check out their book, Data Fluency, now available on Amazon.